Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome back Annie Award winner and Oscar nominee, Glenn Keane. Hello, hello, one and all. We're back. It's February. It certainly is. And how are we all doing today? How are you, Steve? I'm very, very well. How are you, Ben? Pretty good. It's cold outside, but uh, keep him busy. I have my renewed appreciation for working from home, which had gotten a little... It had started to grate, I think, a little bit by about this time last year. Mm. It's been nearly 10 years at that point. And then, uh, then I got a job in Wales. <laughs> but I didn't get a place in Wales, so uh, uh, now that that's over, I, I have a, a far, far higher appreciation for being able to wake up and oh shit, I'm at work. <laughs> Is it the uh, train to Bridge End that that kind of stuffs all the magic out of your uh, out of your day? I mean, it's a perfectly okay train. It's nothing special. It's the fact that when you get into Bridge End, the actual studio is two miles away. Mm. It was kind of a mishmash. I don't know if I ever sort of broke it down, but like it, I was in post-production. Yeah. And there was some overlap with animation because they were animating really right up to the wire. But really, it was at the end of the production. So most people were leaving. So I was able to carpool for a little bit. And then those guys buggered off. And then I was able to carpool like half the way. <laughs> from like Newport hitchhiking to work then he buggered off and then I just had to take the train the whole way the last few weeks which I like I kind of when I took the job I was like that might be what I have to do from the beginning so I was prepared for that and I'm glad I didn't have to do it for more than those last couple of weeks because that would have been very very rough they get a lot of work done on the train because when you're coupling you have to talk to people I mean yeah it would be a little bit shitty if I was just like on my laptop. <laughs> just get me there on time, will you? So you're glad to be back home, Ben? I'm feeling happy to not have to get out of the house before a certain hour of the day, because it's chilly outside. Doing your best work in your pyjamas. I really do. <laughs> or at like 11 in the evening. Like that's when I really kick into gear. So yes, all is well. I'm very near the finish line of a new film of my own. Mm. Which will be um, the first time... In nearly three, no, three years, pretty much exactly. Which is weird, because it felt like a long time between the last one and the one before, which was five years. That felt like forever. So it's actually not even been that much less of a gap mm. between the last film and this one, but it really feels like yesterday I was doing that stupid film. It's only just finished its rounds, hasn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's occasionally we'll still get a screening somewhere, but, I mean, it went up, like, last May online, so that was kind of... I guess officially sort of the end of it, but it kind of would, would re-emerge in fits and starts. And uh, This one I have a completely different plan of action with. I think there's a home for it uh, somewhere out there. It it ticks, I think, a lot more obvious boxes than the last one. So we shall see. I'll keep you all posted. Mm. No one asked. <laughs> <laughs> but do you guys make a podcast? No. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, not too bad. Cracking on with it, you know, uh, whatever it is. Not much in the way of a- animation, but uh, I recently completed a, 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 I made a uh, Fene Kistoscope, Ben, recently, which uh, will be sent out to select people. 
um, for an event coming up. But um, have you ever made a Fenny Kistoscope before, Ben? It's been a while <laughs> since my last Fenny Kistoscope. <laughs> Here's my here's my tip for anyone trying to make a Fene Kistoscope. Don't. <laughs> it is a pain in the arse. <laughs> Would I be right in thinking there's a tight turnaround time for this particular event? Uh, perhaps, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just a fiddly mess, and it will just deplete all your ink cartridges to make sure that it actually works. Uh, Google what a Fene Kistoscope is if you don't know what one is, uh, or Magic Disc. It's a spinning bit of animation for those listening. Good luck with the spelling of that one, too. Now, speaking of real animation, Ben, should we crack on with some red-hot animation news? Yes, what is the news? More awards. Can't get away from that. The Annie Awards happened pretty recently. And uh, good news for the team who made Coco. Very good news for the team who made Coco. If I'm not mistaken. I hope they bought enough awards polish. This, I mean, this was the awards that we kind of uh, very briefly skimmed over last episode, given that there are eight gajillion categories. <laughs> and I would say 7.7 gajillion went to Coco. Well played. A couple of productions that went Coco also uh, got a nod. Notably, when I was rooting for Best Animated Independent Feature, uh, was our pals at Cartoon Saloon. With the breadwinner, which was the main point of discussion in the last episode of the Squiggly Podcast. If you haven't listened to that yet, what's wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? Go back and check it out. Good lord. Uh, Also, Revolting Rhymes got uh, Best Animated Special. They have also been on the podcast. I believe it was Michael, the producer, uh, as is often the case. Uh, Talk to us about that one. Uh, What are some other ones? That are palzo squiggly. We bear bears. It's a fun, inoffensive little show to have on in the background. Rick and Morty, Pickle Rick. is a classic for the ages, I dare say. Other recent squiggly interviewees from the NFTS, Poles Apart, directed by Palama Baeza and Saren Lowe produced. And uh, yeah, we have an interview with those two up on the site. Pretty good show. All in all, Cuphead for animation in a video game, I guess. If- you played that, yeah. Yeah, um, I think we talked about that sort of closer to when it came out. Uh, you cannot fault its animation, uh, certainly. I, as I said at the time, it's hard as shit, but <laughs> it looks very pretty. <laughs> as you're screaming in rage, it's like, ah, motherfucker! Oh, that's a really good loop cycle, but you fucking <laughs> Basically, that's the cycle of emotion that you go through. The, the really shitty thing they did with this game, have you played it yet? No, no, I've not played it yet. I, I'm so far behind on... Okay, well, this is what they've done with it. Uh, when you die in a level, there's a like a thing that shows you how far from the end you were when you died. That sounds just like the worst tease. Pieces of shit. <laughs> any uh, any uh, results you were particularly happy with or uh, aggrieved by? Uh I, I, it's absolutely wonderful to see uh, Best Animated Feature Independent go to the breadwinner, but the Annies do like to tease us with, with the possibility of uh, something like the breadwinner being labelled as it is as independent, getting anywhere near that uh, that Oscar. I really, really think the breadwinner should win the Oscar, but Coco are just absolutely scooping awards hither and thither. And, you know, a C for Hollywood is placed exactly where, you know, the Oscars is placed. So you would one would presume that 
there's a vast majority of people voting for this kind of thing and the same kind of people that are voting for uh, the Academy Awards, or the similar circles, at least. So, uh, yeah... I think it's just a tease. It's a big tease. I hope it wins the Oscar, but it's probably not going to win the Oscar. Uh, prove me wrong, Oscar voters, but uh, you never f***ing do. <laughs> do you ever watch uh, Inside Number 9? I've seen one or two episodes. Uh, they had a really good one, the penultimate one. Uh, it was uh, about people on a uh, BAFTA jury. <laughs> right. In a room. It was a kind of a 12 Angry Men sort of thing but like a Academy Award jury and all of the squabbling. <laughs> and uh, I haven't been on a BAFTA jury. I've been on a few like juries here and there for festivals and various events and things like that. But it rang very true. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's something kind of, um, I think universal probably. And definitely like, uh, I, I shouldn't sort of be specific, but there has definitely been like issues where I could tell like, okay, this person definitely is bringing a certain like personal agenda to their decision making which isn't really what you're meant to do yeah in the case of probably the oscars it's more like let's not make any waves and that's why you know disney and pixar have such a high batting average Mm. on that front yeah no one's gonna be disappointed if coco wins that sort of attitude but uh yeah yeah I do remember reading earlier this week that Mead at Cartoon Brew was sort of making a point of how it was a very male-dominated uh, outcome. But I sort of feel like it's just a very male-dominated, like, industry still. Mm, absolutely. Like, I kind of feel like it, it will remain a male-dominated outcome until other things are addressed. Like, there are things to sort of tackle more at the root. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think of it as... I mean, I, I would maybe agree that it's not necessarily... Um, the most sort of relevant uh, in the sense of being aware of what's hip and down with the kids. Although, you know, you do have Pickle Rick in there. <laughs> it's nice that something exists that is basically wears on its sleeve. Hey, we actually really do care about animation because so many people don't like animation. <laughs> I'm starting to find <laughs> as I get older, like oh, animation. No, I don't like that. What do you mean? I don't like animation. It's, it's no, like they won't be able to explain why it just bugs them it rubs them the wrong way but they won't even know it when they see it you never hear somebody say i don't like sculpture do you no they don't like a animation there's something that they've seen that they don't quite like or it doesn't gel well with them or they're not a massive fan of but you know they wouldn't look at like a stat one statue and go like oh i don't like any more uh statues no i'm done with statues it's also among the annual winners here. So for best animated short, Mr. Glenn Keane, I believe, for Dear Basketball, and his directorial chum, Kobe Bryant. I'm sure they were <laughs> <laughs> arms interlinked throughout the entire process. Yeah. He even sits up there sharpening pencils for him, <laughs> occasionally <laughs> passing them over, and then looking at his phone for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the production. Yeah, I think that maybe it, it's sort of worth focusing more on the Glen Keane element of um, <laughs> that union. I mean, yes. I, I, it's an interest. It's a it's an interesting time that we live in at the moment, and everything, midst all the kind of muckraking that's going on at the moment, some of it very very important, some of it possibly a little frivolous. Then, like we've we've now reached that point. It's not quite the tipping point, but it's definitely the point where people are going into the past and seeing. 
you know, what can we dredge up today? What did Quentin Tarantino say 15 years ago on a shock jocks radio show? Or, you know, there'll always mm. be something. But I do remember like, oh, that's where I know Kobe Bryant from <laughs> when that came up again. It's like Chris Rock had a whole bit about it. Like, because I don't watch basketball, but <laughs> I watched stand up 12 years ago. Strange old world. Uh, now he's making cartoons. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> oh, he's getting more talented people to make cartoons. Uh, we'll hear more about Dear Basketball in the very near future. But before that, any other newsy tidbits? I don't know about news. Well, old old stuff has come up, which is old news, but good news. Um, the BFI have launched Animated Britain, which is uh, the largest collection of historic UK shorts to be kind of put in one place, as far as I know, which is a wonderful opportunity to take a look through the, the visual archive of, of what's been produced in the UK. Uh, and there's some absolutely wonderful gems here. You can just stay on it all day long. Imagine the iPlayer, Ben, but just full of classic British shorts from uh, from days gone by. Uh, there's some absolutely wonderful stuff here. Let's just put it to the test. Ben Mitchell. <laughs> Nothing. Well, it's past <laughs> one test. <laughs> Wait a minute now, hey. <laughs> This is like a... Well, hang um, on, Ben. Your stuff's a Canadian co-production, so, you know, hold your horses. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a big loot crate for animation geeks like me. Like, this is just a wonderful um, grouping. And some stuff that uh, I think has not really been available online in nearly as nicely presented a way. Yeah. Like, you'll get, like, something someone had on, like, a VHS that's, you know, gone moldy. And you're kind of like squinting at it through like the, you know, the distortion lines and the tracking that's all f***ed up and the music's all like, sounds like it's underwater. These are all like proper restored from prints and presented for good old HD viewing kind of thing. Yeah. So probably a lot of them from like original prints. One of the particular ones that I'm uh, absolutely delighted to see is the Super Ted, but not the Super Ted that you and I grew up with, not Super Ted and Spotty but a uh, Cosgrove Hall version of Super Ted, which is more akin to um, Chorlton and the Wheelies. It's stop motion. Um, the only uh, familiar thing is that he's actually called Super Ted in the short. Uh, but it's very um, Cosgrove Hall, early Cosgrove Hall, bumbling sidekick. Um, the evil villain is a rat, which looks slightly familiar. Um, very danger mousey, but in stop motion, it's just a, a beauty to see, um, and uh, great to see that back then. I mean, as soon as I saw this, as soon when the BFI got in touch with me and asked me about this particular short, if I knew anything about it, and so I contacted Brian uh, Cosgrove and asked him about it and said, "Did you did you make this danger mouse? <laughs> no, it's danger. Did you make this uh, Super Ted uh, back in the day?" And he went, "Oh yeah, we did." And then we heard that there was another one being made, so we just didn't do it. <laughs> I just like that. That's just brilliant. That's just like, oh, okay, you have a go. I mean, we've, we're busy. We'll do something else. That's lovely. How you can get that in this day and age where everything's cutthroat and, you know, merch-driven? They should have made like their own series of Super Ted called The Real Super Ted. <laughs> but it's, it, 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 is a, it is great to see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm watching Next again. 
the Barry Purvis classic, which is one of the first things that pop up on the on the screen. And I can't remember the, the stage curtains being that vividly blue. It's just beautiful to see it so crisp uh, and crystal clear uh, in a way that probably only have ever been able to see on the big screen. Something that I've personally never seen on the big screen because obviously Next was released in 1989 when I was busy being five years old. I did see him do a retrospective about ten years ago when feeling really covetous of the print Mm. that they screened because the version that was available at the time, it was on an Ardman DVD, and it wasn't in great shape. No. Like, I think that was just, like, taken from, like, a VHS recording or, like, a broadcast version of it. The sound in particular is really quite muffled and muddy. Yeah. Which is a shame because this is probably one of the nicest sort of pieces of music in any of Barry's films. I think it's his best film. I'm, I'm sorry to say, I know people will disagree and say screenplay or, you know, any of his other films, but I think next is, for my money, uh, his best work. I don't think many people would hold your feet to the fire about that. But they can try. Good to see the early animation stuff as well. You can go right the way back uh, to the origins of, of, of British animation. And uh, here you've got... Uh, <laughs> Arthur Melbourne Cooper's Matches and Appeal, which was down as the earliest uh, animation ever. It's this one minute long short uh, animated short film, which was an appeal for bonds for the war. And it was always attributed to being for the Boer War, being as it would have been 1898, um, or an earlier war rather. But it's now been reclassified as 1914, which doesn't make it the earliest animation uh, or animation of its kind made so it was definitely for the first world war which i know will annoy um aaron wood <laughs> so if i just mention it on the podcast there take that aaron thanks for looking after the website but thanks take that take that right in the right in the kisser yeah well, yeah so this is all like completely free it's available at the bfi website well it's type in animated britain or look on squiggly got a link there Yeah, look on Squiggly. Give us the hits. Come on. Christ alive, guys. (laughs) And, uh, yes, get back to us with the verdict on which is the superior Super Ted. (laughs) I saw something sort of sad funny in the news. Not the real news. I mean, I don't think there really is such thing as real news anymore. I've been told by our world leaders that all the news is fake. Uh, But in the entertainment news, have you seen the movie Get Out? Uh, No. It's really good. It's not animated, but it's a very, very good film. Well, see it then. Anyway, the guy who directed it, I guess, was an actor. His name is Jordan Peele. He got an award recently, or was interviewed for something. He received a lot of awards for this film, and uh, he was asked why he doesn't act anymore. And basically, he explained that he he gave up on acting because he got an offer to be in the Emoji movie. <laughs> and he's like, F*** it, I'm done. <laughs> This was his quote. The Emoji Movie actually helped me quit acting. I was offered the role of poop. Wow. This is where you are in Hollywood. You get to play the poo emoji. Patrick Stewart took that on, didn't he? Uh, Yes, the esteemed Sir Patrick Stewart. (laughs) Sir Patrick Stewart. Had already accepted the honour by the time this guy had slept on it. To which uh, Jordan Peele's response was, F*** this. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to know where like our industry stands mm. in the uh, the general conversation <laughs> amidst all these uh, crazy goings on. 
thanks guys <laughs> remember at the time when like the emoji movie was announced and uh, there was a lot of initial backlash and uh squiggly's own steve henderson was very quick to be like what's the worst that can happen really well a man's spirit has been broken steve <laughs> I was playing with fire, Ben. <laughs> Someone who hasn't given up the ghost on uh, his life's work. Recent Annie Award winner Glenn Keane. Now, as well as this dear basketball film, he has another thing uh, happen in a feature, right? Yeah, um, he's set to direct um, Over the Moon for Pearl Studios, which is going to be one of those films that's released on Netflix. Hmm. Instead of going to the cinemas. So uh, I think you remember a couple of years ago, there was some absolutely tantalizing glimpses of some 2D animation that was everyone was certain was CG because it looked so gorgeous and 2D can't achieve that. And that was uh, uh, Klaus uh, by uh, Sergio Pablos. That's going to be Netflix is uh, one of their animation releases. And so uh, Glenn Keane is another uh, stellar talent that Netflix have uh, scooped up to make a, an animated feature. Well, Netflix, it could really go either way. Uh, I would say that with Glenn Keane on board, that's a very hopeful sign. Mm. You know, and I'm always kind of like, I mean, I'm very interested in what it's been doing as a platform and bringing sort of, you know, animation series to varying degrees of success together. Mm-hmm. There has been some absolute dog shit come out on Netflix. Uh, but there have been some really good things too, and so I remain cautiously optimistic. Do you know what the premise of this film is? Uh, it's about a girl who goes to the moon uh, to try and meet a moon goddess. Mm. But interestingly, it's uh, although it is um, going to be released on Netflix, it's also going to be re- released theatrically as well, but you have to go to China to watch it. So... Um, Pearl Animation Studio, or Pearl Studio, is the studio that used to be DreamWorks, DreamWorks Oriental. So uh, that's what you're getting from uh, from what was DreamWorks. You're getting Glenn Keane coming in, doing some uh, yummy uh, animation there now. I like the, uh, the little sketches and stuff that have been released for this so far. Yeah. I mean, they're very much sort of... Um in keeping with all the stuff we he's sort of known for. So, were you uh, privy enough to see his presentation in Annecy last year? Uh, I was. Uh, I was in the general area. Yeah, I didn't go to the actual presentation, but I got the skinny from your good self, mm. and I believe you got the skinny from his good self. I did get the skinny from him, good good self. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> It was a superb presentation. It was good to see some of the stuff that he's been working on behind the scenes, as well as um, uh, the work that he's done recently on uh, on Deer Basketball, which is a, a lovely film, a very lovely film, based on the letter that Kobe Bryant wrote when he, I suppose, retired uh, from the sport. It was his uh, his thank you letter to uh, to basketball, but um, animated by by Glenn Keane. So yes, as well as winning an Annie Award, uh, this one's also one of the ones up for an Oscar. It's a good, it's a strong year for the animated shot. So yes, shall we hear from Kobe Bryant's co-director? Yeah, let's when... hear from Kobe Bryant's co-director. Well, yeah, we couldn't get Kobe Bryant to talk about animation, so Glenn Keane's gonna have to do. Ah, well. Um, so how's animation changed for you in the last 20 years? I, I, I've realised that I love hand-drawn animation because at certain points I've 
I've come to crossroads where, okay, am I going to animate on the computer or am I going to continue animating by hand? And I just could not just let go of the pencil. Um, there's something so rewarding for me about drawing. There's a feeling of graphite on paper that makes me happy. I've always felt that way as a kid. And um, so I, I had to start asking myself questions well, like, what is drawing? Um, I noticed that learning things, asking myself, like, I assumed that drawing was about um, watching the line that you draw. And I, and I realized, no, I don't watch the line that I'm drawing. I look a little to the right or left of the line. I don't look at the line because the line is only describing something real within those lines. It's the form that exists in there. And I realized that sculptural drawing is really what I loved. To, to actually sculpt a form. I mean, I love Rodin. I love Degas. And, um, and I, when I came to Paris and I moved here in 95 for a year, it was I studied sculpture and I didn't realize I was really preparing for Tarzan at that time to animate this figure as anatomy. And, um, so I got to the point where I had developed Rapunzel um, and I was going to be hand-drawn. Um, Michael Eisner saw it and said, I love this idea of doing this film, but I want you to do it in CG. I said, well, well Michael, do you, do you like the drawings that I did? And he said, oh, I love them. I said, well, you can't do that in CG. He said, well, Glenn, there's got to be a way to take what you love and hand draw on and bring it into CG. And I mean, there was something in that was so naive, but honest. And I said, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's find a way. And so I started down this path of bringing as much hand-drawn as I could into the characters uh, of Entangled. Um, and then at a certain point, I realized, okay, kind of know where my role is going to be here at Disney in working and helping perfect CG, but what about hand-drawn? Where does that fit? I mean, does an art form that for all these years of drawing with a pencil, artist, and doing that, is it really going to end in this teeny little slice of time? It suddenly seemed like a very thin veil to hold back the momentum of eons. And I was like, no, I don't, I want to keep doing it, but I don't know how and I don't know where, but I got to step out of Disney and find out. And so the first thing that happened is Google invites me in and they asked me to be me with them. And then the Paris Ballet and then uh, Riot Games Video Game Company, and, and then Kobe Bryant doing basketball. and uh, it, it was it's some, the kinds of things that could never have happened for me had I stayed at Disney. Uh, I, I suppose uh, somebody of your experience, somebody of your background, the phone probably doesn't stop ringing. There's always somebody that's interested in yeah. fortunately, some way or another. Um, often it's about teaching and passing on the baton. I mean, that's a big part of my life now is uh, trying to encourage other people to embrace animation for expressing themselves personally. I mean, when I work with animators, even if it's on a very specific film like Tangled, an animator will show me their work and, and I'll say, yeah, it looks, 
really good animation. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. It's good animation, like I've seen it before, but I don't see you in it. How do you take you and put it in this? Um, how do we become vulnerable and open ourselves up and share those moments that maybe that's the part that you have that voice in your head saying, oh, don't, don't share that. They'll know too much about you. Like, that's the thing you gotta listen to and that's the thing you gotta put in your work and it makes it special and appealing. It draws people in. And that's something that you, you talked about uh, in the presentation yesterday when you first met Kobe Bryant. Uh, your, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it a reluctance, but your uh, approach to how does, do you become Kobe Bryant? Well, yeah, I, for me, I, um, I mean, I was the worst basketball player on earth. As I told Kobe, you got the worst basketball player on earth animating you. And he said, well, that's good because everything you're going to learn about animation or basketball is going to be through studying him. And so that's what I did. I mean, I just really applied myself frame by frame studying how Kobe moved. And I'd sit down with Kobe and, and we'd go through um, a game or I'd download Kobe Bryant's top 20 plays. And, and he's got a photographic memory and he's talking about every movement and what was going through his head on these moments and it, it was well now I feel like if I if you threw a basketball at me I think I'd know what to do with it and I could probably sink it from I, got, I haven't gotten out of the court since I animated this but I can't wait I mean I, I really do think that I could you know do something cool with that yeah <laughs> you've, you've experienced it now you've lived it I've, I've yeah. lived it I yeah, I mean, as an animator, you can be anything you can imagine. I can be a mermaid. I can be, you know, a beast. I can be Aladdin. Uh, I could be an impossibly great basketball player. Why not? As long as not me and my physical side, it's my imaginational side. Yeah. Well, um, if we sort of look back at your career, um, there was a, a commercial that you did, a dog food commercial, <laughs> that was released uh, online uh, a while back. And I found that fascinating because what it, what it showed, uh, what, what I got from that is the old, uh, the old uh, thought that you can be a comedian and transfer over to drama really easily. Mm -hmm. You can't quite be a, you know, a, a, a drama player and move over to um, comedy quite so easy. I mean, were you, how, how, how was your own journey with, uh, with when it comes to acting through animation? Um, for me, it's, uh, I jumped into really pretty dramatic stuff early with the bear fight and the fox and the hound. And I really loved the power and the drama of that dramatic staging and all of that. Then not long after that, doing uh, The Great Mouse Detective with Rattigan, um, he was so wonderfully, deliciously funny um, and wicked. Vincent Price is a great comic actor, and getting Vincent Price to do this, that role was, was just the best. There was a film, Champagne for Caesar, that Vincent Price did that was a comedy. And I drew all of these Radigan poses based on the soundtrack in that, and that's how I sold them on the idea of doing, using Vincent Price. Um, you know, 
the the best comedy is when a character is not trying to be funny, but they're just they truly believe in themselves. That like Radigan believed he was like somebody done him wrong, and he was just a large mouse and not a rat. I mean, he had this inferiority complex he was trying to cover over and uh, he was so indignant and it was just, he just enjoyed that guy. Um, Beast is really fun to watch as he's trying to control this temper and he can't, it's great, it's great entertainment to watch somebody do the impossible. <laughs> um, so I've always felt like drama and comedy to me are not so distant friends. They they both require the same sincerity, pouring yourself into that character. Excellent. So final question, what's next for Glen King Productions? Well, um, right now we have our little studio. My son has been with us along all of these projects as a production designer. Now he's developed a, a children's series that is very much him and that he's directing and I'm running alongside, um, helping in every kind of way I can, really enjoying the journey of watching him rise, in many ways, higher than the branches of my tree. Uh, and so that project is, is just taking off uh, with a studio doing that. And I have some ideas that I continue to develop. Um, they're very unique personal ones. When I show them to studios, they, they're like, this is really amazing, this is wonderful. Um, you should do that, but just not here. Like, it's too risky, or it's not, it's like, we, just, we don't, don't know where it fits. Um, and these are reasons why I think I need to, to leave a big studio to do something more individual. Uh, and I'll find the right place for that. I just don't know where yet. I'm exploring virtual reality as well. Animating in virtual reality space would be, would be an incredible adventure. I'm open to it. Excellent. Well, Glenn Keane, thank you very much for talking to Swiggly today. Yeah, thank you. Great. Thank you, Glenn Keane, for talking Dear Basketball with us. Uh, Dear Basketball, recent Annie Award winner and up for an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. The 90th Academy Awards will take place in the Dolby Theatre in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, at 5pm PST on the 4th of March 2018. Well, good luck to all the uh, all the other nominees. It's actually one of the very few occasions where we like all of them. I think Dear Basketball's in with a good chance. The scuttlebutt around it seems to indicate as much. Certainly, I suppose, being associated with Disney in the past wouldn't be a negative. Not at all. To the fuddy-duddies who do the voting, <laughs> who cluck their tongues as they sift through the, what's this, negative space. <laughs> Sounds way too negative for the likes of us. And so on. Scenarios. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll be back with episode 78 pretty soon, so hang tight. In the meantime, please do keep checking out the website squiggly.com. We're also on Facebook slash Squiggly Magazine, Instagram at Squiggly Animation, and Twitter at Squiggly. I'm also on Twitter at Ben L. Mitchell. Steve is at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. 
you want to keep track of our hijinks. And so until you hear from us again, happy animating. Mm.